Morning, everyone. Lovely to see you. My name is Phil. I'm one of the assistant pastors. Um, and it's, yeah, it's my privilege to open up uh, particularly verse 10 to us this morning. So let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the astonishingly good news we, we read in Romans that we've barely scraped the surface of so far this morning. Father, we pray that something of it would come across and move our hearts. And we pray as we particularly reflect on um, love and honour now, would you help us in view of your mercy to be those who, who willingly pour out our lives and offer our bodies in worship to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be devoted to one another in love and honour one another above yourselves. So as I said, that's our kind of key verse for today. And as I've been reflecting on it over the last week or two, I've noticed a few things in myself. I wonder if as I, as I list a few of them, they might resonate with you. Are these things that you see in yourself in relation to love and honour? Have you ever noticed perhaps an attitude that sometimes views church more as something that we do than something that we are? And, and let me explain what I mean by that, because if you know what the, the, the word church means, it means gathering in, in the original Greek, and that, that's something you do, right? So church is doing more than being. But, as Paul's already referred to earlier in this passage in verse 5, we are one body and we belong to one another through Jesus. I'm going to say more on that later. So, have you ever noticed an attitude that views church more as something you do than something you are? We gather because of who we are. But maybe... Maybe you don't feel a particularly strong connection to a lot of the people that you gather with. Maybe you don't feel a particularly strong desire to be involved in their lives or open up your life to them. Is that something you've ever noticed? I, I have seen that in myself. What about this? An, an attitude that cares more for the, the needs of specific people in church because they're more like you and they're easier to get on with or easier to like as a result. Maybe it, yeah, we, we'll feel real affection for those people. We'll willingly open up our homes to those people. We'll feel concerned when they're in trouble. We'll be willing, willing to drop everything to go and help them when they're in need. But maybe we find it that bit harder for other people who are not like us, because we just don't feel that sense of connection. So it's harder to feel concerned. Have you ever noticed that? Thirdly, what about this? An attitude that has more respect for the opinions of certain people because of the qualifications they hold, whether that's sort of formal qualifications, like, oh, she's got a PhD in theology, so I'm really going to listen when she says what she thinks. Or, you know, he shares my theological framework. He's a five-point Calvinist, so 
he's really on the money. Or something more informal, again, willing to listen to them just because you've got a lot in common with them. They support the same football team, or they're at the same stage in life, or they've got the same educational background, they've got the same interest in the same films as you, whatever it is. Have you ever found that it's easier to respect certain people more because of their qualifications, whether it's formal or informal? And then finally, have you ever noticed yourself avoiding a certain person on a Sunday morning because you find it really difficult to talk to them when you're worried they might bring up that subject again? Or perhaps you struggle to, to greet someone with a warm smile and to, to ask them how they're doing and you know, take an interest in their week. And how, how can you pray for them or how can you help them if they've expressed a need? You find that difficult because you're really rather absorbed with your own struggles at that time and you kind of just want to get on to talking about those. Now, is it, is it just me who is prone to things like this? I'm guessing it's not. And I think it's probably for reasons like this that Paul exhorts us, urges us in verse 10 to be devoted in love and to honour each other above ourselves. Because it doesn't come easily to us a lot of the time. We, sometimes we struggle to love at all, never mind devotedly. And if honour is a, a category that we do think in, which probably isn't much in the West, then it's something we give selectively. And so there's, there's this disconnect between what we see in the example of Jesus and the way he has loved and treated us and what we see in Scripture and what we know in our heads we should do and what we actually do in practice. And that's why we're looking at this verse as part of our Gospel Disconnect series. And so through the rest of the sermon, what I want to do is this. Firstly, I want to dig deeper into what Paul means by devoted love and honouring one another more highly than ourselves. What does that look like? And then secondly, to explore why. Why should we be devoted in love and honour one another so highly? What, what are the motivations and the reasons that he gives us in Romans? And then finally, I want to suggest how we might grow in this and encourage an attitude of devotion and love in our hearts. So what and why and how, hopefully. Fairly straightforward. So firstly... Um, what does Paul mean by loving devotedly and honouring highly? Well, I think it's fair to say it's a specific kind of love that Paul has in mind. So th there are a few different words for love in Greek, not so clear in our English, but the one that Paul has chosen means particularly brotherly love or the love between siblings in a, a family. The ESV, if you read the ESV, brings that out a bit more clearly with brotherly affection. And that's really important because it's not, not all of us have close relationships with our brothers and sisters, if we have brothers and sisters at all. Some of us have really quite difficult relationships with our brothers and sisters. So we, we need to know what Paul means by this. 
And at best, in a family where there are strong and close relationships, what it looks like is this. You will open your home to your brother and sister any time they want to drop by, especially if they live a long way off and you don't see them often. You'll give them your spare room or your sofa bed for as long as they need if they're going through a messy and painful breakup. You'll always be there as a shoulder to cry on. You'll drive through the night to be there if they suffer a miscarriage or something awful like that. You'll go and sit with them when they're in hospital. You'll never forget to send the birthday card and the birthday present, and you won't fail to turn up at their graduation or their baptism or their wedding. And though you may have disagreements with them, though you might actually be really quite different people from each other, if you hear someone doing them down, speaking unfairly of them or causing them grief, you will take their side like a shot. And why? Because they're family. They are your family, and blood runs thicker than water. You know where your loyalties lie. That's, that's the kind of brotherly, sisterly love that Paul is talking about, that maybe you know, many of us don't have personal experience of. But you've, you've seen it in films, or read of it in novels, or you've seen of it in someone else's family. And that's what Paul means. That is the kind of love we are to, to grow in towards each other at MRC. But still, you know, in the West, I think it's fair enough to say that our conception of family is quite weak and small compared to most other cultures in most other places and times. And we, we might well be pretty lukewarm in our relationship with our brothers and sisters if they are good. So we also need to see that Paul says, be devoted. We are to love deeply, not half-heartedly, which is probably more true of me quite often. So that means we really care when someone in the church family is in need, even if it's not someone we naturally warm to. It, in it, um, it includes sharing with the Lord's people, as Paul goes on to say in verse 13, even if that is costly to us, as in fact many in MRC did um, in giving to the Compassion Fund recently when we had some particular needs in the church family. It includes rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, as Paul goes on to say in verse 15. It's, it's being the shoulder to cry on and being the willing guest at the birthday party, even when that's inconvenient. And for that to happen to give that kind of love, to receive that kind of love, we need to turn up. <laughs> we need to view church not simply as something we do, but something we are with this sense of belonging. We don't just attend when we feel like it, but we attend because we care about our brothers and sisters. And that's when this kind of love gets that chance to grow and to be expressed. So we are to be devoted to one another in that kind of love. That's the what for love. I, I already see that happening at MRC. Just to be clear, Megan and I have experienced so much generosity and care since we've arrived, and we've seen a lot of that given to other people. 
That is something to praise God for. I'm really thankful that I get to see that as one of the pastors. But it is still something that undoubtedly we can grow in. And if you're like me, it is probably with those people who aren't like you, who you don't naturally feel so much affection for. Then Paul goes on to say, honor one another above yourselves. So what is the what of honoring one another? What does that look like? Well, I think it's fair to say it's the flip side of the same coin. It's not exactly the same thing as sort of devoted brotherly love, but it is closely related to it. And I'll explain why sort of in a moment. For now, what does it mean to honor someone? Again, I don't think honor is something we speak of much in the West today. It might be something we have, you know, we do subconsciously, but we don't speak of it much. It's probably more familiar in, say, Asian or Middle Eastern or North African cultures. And to give you an idea, the, the word Paul chooses has a sense of sort of alternative meaning of the, the price or value that you attach to something, how much you are willing to pay for it. So just as you might pay a higher price for a pair of trainers you rate particularly highly because of their look or their performance or the brand on them. So you will pay greater respect to a person you value more highly and hold in greater esteem because of who they are. So their opinions will hold more weight with you. And when they turn up, you will be more pleased to see them. And when they tell you about a need or ask for your help, you will be much more willing to drop everything to go and give what assistance you can. In other words, you honor them. That's what Paul means by honor. And we might give that kind of honor to our parents, maybe even to a brother or sister. We might give it to our favorite celebrity if we got to meet them. We might you know, give it to a favorite preacher whose sermons and books we particularly enjoy. We might show it by dropping everything if that favorite celebrity or the queen asked to come to tea. But Paul is saying we are to give that kind of honor to everyone within the church family. And it, all the more so because he is saying to honor one another above ourselves. So it's a bit like last week in Romans 15 where Paul urged us to consider the good of others more important than our own. He's urging us to see their value and their, worth, their worthiness of respect as greater than our own. Even, and, and this is what I find particularly hard, <laughs> considering their opinion more weighty when it is a matter of preference and it's not a clear sort of biblical right-wrong thing. So Paul's words, they carry this sense of you know, honoring one another more highly. They may also carry a sense of seeking to outdo each other in showing honor, taking the lead in showing honor. Again, the ESV brings that out if you read the ESV. So we shouldn't wait until someone respects us or shows value to us or you know, is the first to honor us before we think, oh, okay, you've earned my respect now. I'm, I'm going to respect you back. 
We should get straight down to it. We should seek to be the first to honor someone else, even if they've dishonored us. Honor one another above yourselves. And again, this is something that I've seen a lot of at MRC in the way that we've handled differences over plans for the old schoolhouse, in the way that we you know, respect differences for theological positions within the church, in the way people show concern for each other's needs, even when it is inconvenient. And it's a real joy to see that. But it is something we can grow in. Wouldn't it be wonderful to pick a particularly current example, if with face masks, we were so eager to honor one another above ourselves that those who are desperate to be rid of them put theirs back on if they sat next to a person who they knew, perhaps through home group or something else, they knew was particularly nervous about COVID. And even the fact that they'd come along on a Sunday morning was a really brave thing for them to do. And on the flip side, wouldn't it be wonderful if the particularly cautious person was so eager to honor their brother or sister's yearning for uninhibited face-to-face -face conversation that they took courage in their Heavenly Father's care for them and took the mask off over coffee after the service when they were having a chat? Wouldn't it be wonderful if in all sorts of ways we sought to outdo one another in showing this kind of honor. How attractive and countercultural would that be in a society which is so insistent on my way and my rights? How much would that be like the kind of rife mutual submission that Dan preached about from Ephesians 5 back in November, if you were here? Paul calls us to be devoted in brotherly love, to honor each other above ourselves. I've tried to give some ideas of what that looks like. They are very colored by my own reflections on my own heart. I'd really encourage you to spend some time this week, perhaps in your quiet time on Monday morning, reflecting what does this mean, what does this look like for you? But we can't stop there. We're only going to grow in right motivations and desire to love and honor one another, as God's word and God's spirit renew our minds. So second point, second big thing, why should we love devotedly and honor highly? Why should we do it? What are the motivations in Romans? And to go back to chapter 12, verse one, Paul says, therefore I urge you Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So why are we to love and honor in the way that Paul's urging us to? Because of God's mercy. The mercy we've already heard a bit about in the beginning of this service. The mercy that Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of this book unpacking in glorious detail. I'd encourage you to read Romans 1 to 11 over the next few weeks if you've never read them before or if they're just really unfamiliar to you because it's been years since you last read them. 
This is God's mercy in Romans, that although the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, have turned from God, suppressed the truth about God, embraced all kinds of evil and destructive ways and commended each other for doing so, though they are utterly deserving, we were utterly deserving of God's wrath, yet he has given his beloved, his perfect, his glorious son as a sacrifice to die in the place of all who will believe and come to him to take their punishments. But that's not the end of his mercy, because there's more. We, We are made right in God's sight. We are made acceptable and pleasing to him, not on the basis of anything that we've done or could do, entirely by trusting in what Jesus has done. We are, as Paul puts it, justified by faith, and faith alone. And the result is that we are adopted into God's family. And this is really crucial for where we'll be going next. We are adopted as beloved sons and daughters. Not just any old sons and daughters either. Because we get, Paul says in Romans 8, the rights and the privileges, the position of a firstborn son in ancient Roman culture which meant that you had the biggest inheritance, you would go on to be the head of the family, you would have the highest position of honour. Now that, really, you think, ought to be reserved just for Jesus, right? But God gives all of us who believe in Jesus the same position, the same privilege. Firstborn sons and daughters. That should shock us. Imagine... By way of an analogy, if, if James I, King of England, had adopted Guy Fawkes as heir to the throne when he tried to blow up the king and parliament in 1605. Or to give a more recent example, imagine if President Obama had given a presidential pardon to Osama bin Laden and given him US citizenship. Wouldn't that be utterly shocking? And yet that is not even half of the degree of shockingness of what God has done for us in adopting us and giving us the privilege of being firstborns along with Jesus, getting to share in his inheritance rights to God's everlasting kingdom. And, as if that wasn't enough mercy, God has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given his Spirit as a sign, a confirmation of our adoption. His Spirit is bringing assurance of his love for us and of who we are as he cries out with us, Abba, Father. Now, you may have a close relationship with your spouse or with your best friend, with one of your children or whoever. But however close your closest relationship may be, you have an even closer one with God because his spirit is in you if you are a child of his. And that same spirit means we are no longer slaves to sin. We are able to live for God, to pursue his ways. Paul says, sin shall no longer be your master. 
instead of the rebellious and self-destructive ways we used to follow, we have been given power to walk in God's ways. So though we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven, we should have great confidence that we can make progress. All of this and more is the mercy that Paul is talking about. This is the mercy in view of which we are to offer not just our minds in intellectual assent, but our bodies, everything we are and do in worship to God. We often, I think, talk of worship as what we do on a Sunday morning. And that is worship. And singing praise to God is worship. But just as much is the giving of yourself by going to be a shoulder to cry on for a brother or sister on a Thursday evening when they've lost a relative or something like that. In fact, if, as I find is often the case of me, you know, on a Sunday morning when I'm singing, I'm kind of just going through the motions and my heart isn't really in it, that is less an act of worship to God than when I deliberately go and serve my brother or sister. True worship gives our whole self to God every hour, every day. And why? Because of his mercy. Because we could not be more in awe of the mercy he has shown us, the way he has forgiven us and adopted us. Because we are so thankful for that adoption. Much of the rest of Romans 12 to 15 is Paul unpacking how do we give ourselves in that kind of worship. He's teaching us what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will, as he says in verse 1 or 2. And he's showing us how we can know God's will and then offer ourselves as a result. And the call to be devoted in brotherly love and honour each other above ourselves is part of that worship. And God's mercy is the motivation. So finally, let's press further into how this mercy motivates us. How do we grow in this kind of love and honor? And this is where verse 12, verse 2 is really important. Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, if this is what Paul chooses to say in the next breath after urging us to offer our bodies in worship, then the renewing of our minds must be of vital importance in how, how we worship God in this way. How do we grow in it? How do we grow in love and honor? And when we humbly and prayerfully read God's word, when we listen to the Bible taught, his spirit is renewing our minds. That is already going on. And our understanding of what is true and good and desirable and pleasing to God is being changed and shaped. But we're not passive in that. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't urge or command us to be renewed as something that we are involved in. 
So to put it another way, we can get on board with the work of the Spirit in renewing us. We can keep in step with him, as Paul says in Galatians 5. We can speed his work along its way, if you like, topping up the oil of the engine, as it were, so it runs more smoothly. How do we do that when it comes to devoted love and honor? I think at least part of it is by choosing to think of and define one another as we look at one another, as we encounter one another around church and in the week as God sees us in the gospel. So for me, I know a lot of the time um, I don't necessarily think of other people in church fully in that way. Maybe think of people as acquaintances, even friends, people I have something really special in common with, Jesus, people I have a duty towards. But it's not always the case that I think of everyone in this family as a blood relative. And that is what we are. We are blood relatives. Because we have been adopted into God's family through Christ's atoning and cleansing and purifying blood. That is the price of our adoption. And it was exactly the same for every one of us. So we are blood relatives. We are God's children, brothers and sisters with each other through Christ's most precious blood. And that tie which unites us is, is stronger than the biological ties in a natural family. It's stronger than the highest loyalty that we might feel to anyone in this world outside the church. Because what unites us is belonging to God's royal family. We are brothers and sisters of King Jesus, the Messiah. You cannot get higher than that. And so when we hear of someone in need at church, but we feel little desire to help, we need to get in step with the Spirit by challenging our natural way of thinking. We need to ask God's forgiveness for our, our coolness towards his beloved son or daughter, and we need to say to ourselves as we look at them, blood relative. That should be the thing that categorizes them in, in, in our minds, blood relative. Or when we hear of someone suffering at church, but we feel unmoved, or even want to back off and step away because it feels uncomfortable and we're not really sure what we'd say. Again, we need to get in step with the Spirit and challenge that natural way of thinking. Ask God's forgiveness for the coolness we feel towards his beloved son or daughter and say to ourselves, blood relative. This person is my blood relative. Because the Spirit doesn't just transform us through the Bible when a physical copy is sitting in front of us. And it doesn't just transform us when the preacher's standing in front of us on a Sunday. The Spirit also transforms us and renews our minds as we deliberately call that truth to mind hour by hour through the day. As we preach to ourselves, to put it another way. The more we can say to ourselves, blood relative or brother or sister, 
as we encounter and look at each other and sort of process the way that we're viewing them, the more we are getting in step with the Spirit and the more that we will grow to understand who they are in God's sight and act in accordance with that, in devotion to them. It's similar with honour. So when we're, when we're tempted to dismiss or think belittling thoughts of someone else's opinion because whatever reason they're not like us, we find them difficult, we need to get in step with the Spirit and challenge that way of thinking. Again, ask for God's forgiveness that we have dishonoured someone who he has exalted to the status of firstborn and say to ourselves as we look at them, here is a firstborn son or daughter. Firstborn should be the word in our minds. Again, when we're tempted to avoid someone on a Sunday morning because we find them difficult, or when we go straight to talking about ourselves because we're really not that interested in them, we need to ask God's forgiveness for dishonoring his firstborn and say to ourselves as we look at them, firstborn son or daughter. The more that we prayerfully challenge ourselves like that, our natural thoughts and feelings, and preach to ourselves, the more we are oiling the engine, as it were, greasing the wheels, and getting in step with the Spirit's work, and speeding it on its way. And then it does become, little bit by little bit, easier to love devotedly, and to honor above ourselves, because we are seeing each other rightly. We're seeing each other with God's eyes. But finally, alongside this, keep coming back to the gospel in your quiet times and in the music you listen to and in your thoughts through the day. Because when we, when we have got a heavenly father who loved us so much that he gave his only son to make us beloved, holy, firstborn sons and daughters, and when there is nothing in all the earth neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation that can separate us from that love of God. Why should we need to hold back in sacrificial love to one another? Why should we need to be concerned more for our own needs when God loves us that much and that inseparably? And why should we need to wait until we are shown honour by someone else before we'll show honour to them when God has already loved or honoured us more than anyone could by making us his sons and daughters in Jesus Christ? We need to keep coming back to that gospel again and again. We are already filled to overflowing by God's love, if only we knew it. So we can afford to let that love and honor spill out to our brothers and sisters unreservedly. I know I've got a long, long way to go with that. <laughs> Probably most of us have. So why don't we pray for that now?
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the exquisite abundance of love you have poured out on us, the honor that you have given us in Christ. Father, please don't let us go away from this morning unmoved by that love and honor, unchanged by your mercies. Please, Father, don't let us go away unchanged in the way that we view the people around us in this church family. Would you help us as, as we strive, as we wrestle, and a lot of the time fail to get in step with the work of your Spirit, to keep coming back for forgiveness, to keep being reassured of your mercies, and to keep, keep getting along in step with the Spirit as he renews our minds, refusing to let those cold or unmoved thoughts dominate. But Lord, would you help us to say to ourselves as we look at each other and hear of one another's needs and hear one another's opinions, help us to say blood relatives. Help us to say brother and sister. Help us, Lord, to say firstborn. And we pray that devoted brotherly love and honor would abound from us more and more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.